Yes. Welcome, everyone, to Lost Rhetoric. I am Jason Dingus. Thank you for being here with me. As usual, thank you to all return listeners and to all new listeners. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am glad you are here. I hope you enjoy the show, and I hope you come back. Um, I also hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. We had a decent one here at the house. It was real laid back, a lot of eating, a lot of drinking. Um, I, I, I felt like I was a leptosomatic person before Thanksgiving. Um, I mean, I wasn't. There's no way I was. That's the new word of the night, you know? Leptosomatic. Thin, slender, frail. I, I haven't been that. I haven't been that since I was 15 or 16. Yeah. Definitely not. But I had to fit in the the new word of the night in the intro because I I couldn't get it in, you know, I couldn't fit it in the in, in the interview. So here it is now. And you know, I'm actually thinking about dropping new word of the night. It's whatever, you know. I don't I don't know if I like it anymore. Let me know what you think. If you like it and want me to keep it, let me know. If you can do without you know, it, it's fun. It's fun to fit in. Sometimes it creates some good moments. But, eh, I don't know. Time might be up on that. Let me know what you think about that. Um, But yeah, last week's episode with Luke LaPlante about Deja Vu and hauntology, the, uh, the music, <laughs> was really fun, really awesome. And I hope you listen to it. And if you haven't, go back, check it out. And I also hope you checked out the Spotify playlist. Um, if you if you get on Spotify, look up the catalog number LR023. That will pull up not only the episode, but the playlist from the episode. So uh, I hope people checked it out. It's got the music from, you know, my what I'm listening to segment but from this particular episode we talked a lot about music during the episode so it's got uh, music from that as well uh the i've already made the playlist for this week's episode if you look up lr024 it has all the music from the what i'm listening to segment that i, I will get here to in a couple minutes but uh they're all collaborative so Add to them if you feel so inclined. That'd be really fun. So anything you think I should hear or any songs from the bands that I put up there, just, you know, add to it. You know, let me know. Let me know I'm, I'm missing out. So, I mean, I only put a few songs from each band. And they're not necessarily my favorites or anything. It's just uh, I want you guys to hear what I've been listening to. But if you think there's some better songs post them on the playlist you know uh but yeah yeah let's talk about the top five and who listened to lost rhetoric episode 23 with luke laplante about deja vu and hauntology the most starting at number five there was a four-way tie if you can believe it uh saint paul minnesota Orchards, Washington, Tigard, Oregon, and Lake Stevens, Washington, all coming in at number five, tied 
together. Uh, all have been in the top five before, so thank you for your continued listening, amazing listening habits, and keep it up, please. Uh, coming in at number four, Seattle, Washington. I don't think Seattle's ever been in the top five, but it makes sense because that's where Luke lives. That's where, uh, that's you know where I was talking to a, 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 a good friend in Seattle last week. So Seattle showed up. So thank you, Seattle. Coming in at number three, Katy, Texas. Back in the top five, coming in strong. Thank you, Katy. Really appreciate it. Number two, Portland, Oregon. Always number one or number two, sometimes number three. Uh, but coming in at number one, Winchester, Virginia. Uh, same as Portland, always number one, always number two. But squeaked out the number one position this week. So thank you, Winchester. Thank you all for listening. Please continue and tell everyone you know. Uh, now, what am I listening to this week? Um, some really good stuff. I'm going to start off with some good friends up in Canada, up in Squamish. Uh, I ordered some music from uh, Wine Soar. That can be spelled a few different ways, but it is spelled W-I-N-E-S-O-R-E. And uh, it's a band I've played a show with before, and they are all good friends. Leanna, Sean, Dave, and now I believe Zach is in the group. I don't think he was when we played with them last year. But uh, yeah, they sent me their three cassettes that they have. And this is this is straight up Mentz core, you guys. There are a bunch of Mentzers up there in Squamish. Uh, they sent me uh, a solo uh, cassette, and then they sent me a couple splits. Uh, a split with a band called Tuca. I think that's how you say it. T-U-C-A. And a band called Comence. Of course, spelled C-O-M-M-I-N-C-E. All of these were put out on 4th Avenue Records. They're all wonderful, and they're, it's hilarious. You know, they're great musicians, and you have to take them seriously, but they're hilarious. It's just makes me laugh, but in a good way. Not laughing at, laughing with, and having fun, because they are a super fun band if you're into some brutal um, <laughs> mincecore. Uh, maybe, maybe a little gore grind, or uh, just some foul-sounding shit. Uh, yeah, Wine Soar. Uh, they're not on the playlist that I put up on Spotify because they don't have anything on Spotify, so I'll post a link to their Bandcamp on the website. Um, yeah, and just so you guys know, I'm using Spotify because I have an account and I'm putting up the playlist because it's super convenient for me. And I know how shitty Spotify is to musicians and how little they pay. And how fucked up that whole arrangement is. And I have my band stuff on Spotify. And of course, I don't make any money of it. I mean, my band's not even close to being popular enough. But if I were uh, a very successful musician, uh, I'd be probably pretty pissed at what Spotify pays out. Uh, yeah, just yeah, just throwing that out there. Um, but speaking of a huge musician, a very popular 
person and also a very funny person, I've been listening to the new Megan The Stallion album called Good News. And I'm going to call her Megan The Stallion because she has two E's in there in the word the. Uh, You know, everyone says Megan The Stallion, but it's pretty clear to me it's the word the. It's awkward to say, but, you know, that's her name. And uh, Stallion's confusing because, to my understanding, that's a male horse. Uh, But I don't know. She's fucking hilarious, so it's all in good fun. Her name, her music, uh, she, she, this is going to be the number one album in the world, obviously. Everyone knows who Megan the Stallion is, Uh, but yeah, she's got really hilarious songs about, you know, how hot she is, how great her body is, how good she is at, uh, using her body for, uh, sex and, um giving giving her partners an experience they would they will never forget and uh maybe possibly she uses her assets to you know get things uh material things from these men and if you know if they don't want to give her anything she's got a whole stable of dudes that she can get stuff from you know and she has a bunch of songs about people who hate her and how they can go fuck off so that's pretty much every, what every song's about. And she is hilarious, man. She's got some great lines. Uh, she's a comedian, I'm telling you. She's, the beats are fun. Her lyrics are fun. It's uh, good good stuff. A little throwback. There's a lot of 80s vibes going on in some of her beats. And uh, yeah, she's just hilarious. I didn't think I'd like it, honestly. I was going to try to avoid it, but I couldn't help it. It, it. And then once I started listening, I couldn't stop. Yeah, so check that out if you haven't. Uh, The next thing I've been listening to, some good friends in Portland, Coffin Apartment, and that's C-O-F-F-I-N, Apartment. They have an an album out on uh, Silver Stature Sounds called Full Torso Apparition. Uh, My buddy Justin, the drummer, dropped it off to the house the other day. And I'm stoked that he did. It was good seeing him first off. But the record is incredible. It's Brody, Johnny, and Justin just slain. Uh, they're, they're three great dudes and they're three great musicians. And they all three do vocals. And they all three have different styles of vocals. You know, I mean, you get the, you get the highs and the lows and the, the music. It's, you, they got the fasts and the slows. They really do it all, man. I mean, they, they dynamic record, you know. It's all over the place, but really well written. And it sounds great. So check out Coffin Apartment, Full Torso Apparition. Of course, they're on Spotify and they're on my playlist. LR024. Check it out. Uh, the last band I've been listening to is an old, not old, but uh, a Dutch pop punk band called The Apers. That's A-P-E-R-S. And I've been kind of listening to their whole catalog. I've listened to three or four out of their, I don't even know, five or six total records. They started in 1996, and I think they broke up around 2014. But they're good. You know, I've been on my pop punk shit for a while, and uh, yeah, the Apers are 
solid, good, fun music. And um, I was curious about their name because it's got a ring to it. And I was wondering what an aper was. And uh, it's I looked it up and it's actually kind of funny. It's a person who adopts the appearance or behavior of another, especially in an obvious way. They're just no talent apers of whatever rock band has the current number one record. So I guess they're just calling themselves uh, a bunch of uh, hacks and ripoffs, a bunch of borrowers, some wannabes or something. But they're good. They're solid. And uh, they're on the playlist on Spotify. So check it out. And uh, yeah, that's what I've been listening to. Um, One thing I want to throw out there, uh, my wife started an Etsy store with her artwork and it's amazing. She's been working on it for a really long time and finally kind of unleashing it. Uh, it's called Mirrored Artscapes. That's M-I-R-R-O-R-E-D. Mirrored, like a mirror uh, multiplied. <laughs> but uh, it's really cool. She does really great artwork. Um, you have to you have to check it out. She's got a good description of of what she does on the site. Um, yeah, she, 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 she says that, uh, that the, the, the designs are created from an original photograph and then edited to achieve a unique mood or abstract creation. And she draws inspiration from vivid colors, shapes, patterns, nature, animals, and the cosmos. And I know for a fact, it's great stuff. She's got stuff like coffee mugs, clocks, pouches, fanny packs, uh, notebooks, you know, stuff like that. So check out Mirrored Artscapes on Etsy. Her shop is actually just launched. So yeah, if you're into that stuff, check it out. Um, now what? Now what? Oh, you know what? I didn't get any new ratings or reviews this week. Huge bummer. But get on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, um, write me, lostrhetoricpodcast at gmail.com, uh, Facebook at Lost Rhetoric Pod, Instagram at Lost Rhetoric Podcast, like, follow, share something, share an episode, share a link, tell everyone you know. If you like the show, please say so. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's my spiel. Um, let's get into this week's episode. Uh, I'm talking to my old friend Jeff Bugby, and we talk about the McMinnville UFO photographs from 1950. And I've been wanting to do this episode for a long time, actually, and I'm glad Jeff was the the person I ended up doing this episode with. So, you know, if you don't know anything about the McMinnville photos or the sighting, uh, you know, listen up. This is <laughs> this is a pretty fun episode. I had a really good time with this one, so check it out. This is me and Jeff Bugby talking McMinnville and the Trent photos from 1950. Oh, good. I still got a, my heartburn just sort of sort of started kicking in. Uh, post post Thanksgiving heartburn, like <laughs> seriously, like 20 minutes ago, it was fine all day. <laughs> <laughs> 24 hours later it hits you Ugh, it sucks <laughs> well anyway 
Oh, let's just get it rolling, man. Um, yeah. So Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Bugby. <laughs> That's what they call me. <laughs> that is your name. My guest tonight, Jeff Bugby. <laughs> glad to be here. <laughs> I'm glad you are here. It's been a while. It's been a little while. I know, man. Well, it's been a while since we've talked. You know, I mean, we did see you guys on the road randomly in Spokane. That was crazy. That was fun. That Just, was uh, on the freeway. And I'm like, is that, is that Jason? <laughs> what the? <laughs> that was hilarious, dude. I was like, we were trying to, we were trying to figure out a way to meet up with you guys. And then you guys got off on some weird left exit for a gas station. And we were ahead of you. I was like, ah. Oh. Yeah, we had dogs and, <laughs> and a kiddo had to pee or something. Of course, oh, always the always the case. Well, I'm glad you're here with me um, tonight. We are going to be talking about McMinnville, the famous McMinnville UFO photographs from 1950. Um, yes. Yeah, and if you're from around here in the Portland area, it's it's pretty, I mean, I would say it's common knowledge, wouldn't you? I, I think so. I, I mean, they did start the whole UFO event in McMinnville since then. The the UFO festival? Correct, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. the... Uh, McMinnimans, yeah, right? Does yeah, it? it's like McMinnimans. On the website, it says McMinnimans Hotel Oregon 21st Annual UFO Fest, which is next year may 13th through 15 15 well jesus may 13 through 15 2021 uh hopefully it goes off and covid's under control because i'm assuming it got canceled this year yeah it did I, I i saw that they had a i think the cancellation website information is still there oh yeah um <laughs> big bummer it is and you know what i've never gone yeah same uh I'm kind of curious. I would love to go. They get some really good speakers out there, man. They really do. Um, so, I mean, it's days worth of conferences and, and speakers, and they have keynote speakers. They have ufologists out there, researchers. They have all sorts of folks that come. It's pretty cool. Well, maybe we should go out there and, uh, and do another podcast about it. Uh, oh, I would love thing. I would love to hook up with these McMinnville UFO Fest people and do a live broadcast. That would be excellent. That'd be great. So McMinnimans, McMinnville UFO Fest, hit me up. Or maybe I'll hit you up because you probably have no idea I exist. <laughs> <laughs> to let you know. I'll, re I'll reach out to you. How about that, McMinnville? Um, but yeah, it would be cool because, you know, they have like a fucking parade and it's like this big, big deal in, in the town. So um but McMinnville itself, uh, so yeah, Jeff and I live in Portland, Oregon. Jeff is the reason I actually live in Portland. I actually followed you here on a whim. He was like, just moved to Portland, Jason. I was like, uh, okay, so I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's all it takes, one person. Your life changes forever. That's right, from Virginia to Portland, sight unseen, just, all right, I'm going, and I haven't left, so thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Well, you know, everybody was going in our <laughs> class, it seemed like. That's true. There were a lot of people moving here. Yeah. Um, some are still here. Some aren't. But we are, and it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> but <Heck> this, yeah. 
<laughs> McMinnville in relation to Portland is, you know, uh, southwest of the city, about an hour 40-ish minutes. I mean, we can maybe say an hour and a half away. Yeah, that's close. Southwest of the city. Um, it's a town I don't go to. I mean, I can't remember the last time I was there or drove through. Uh, but, you know, cool, cool fucking town. You know, well, uh, it's what, known for the uh, uh, Evergreen Air Museum. Mm. Most people here. OK. So, yeah, I've driven through a lot on my way to the coast. I just never really realize I'm in McMinnville when I pass that. Museum. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. So close to Portland. Uh, and after this incident in 1950, people started calling it Saucerville. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they still, I mean, it's not like Roswell. It's not as well known as Roswell because I've been to Roswell and Roswell really milks the, uh, the alien thing, you know, oh, like oh, the, yeah. the street lamps have alien eyes on them and everything's kind of, everything's got a UFO or whatever, but I don't think McMinnville really plays it up like that. But the McMinnville UFO festival is the second largest to Roswell's festival, which is cool. That's right. Um, well, now this uh, this uh, photographs you are actually taken just outside of Pinville, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's kind of like Woodstock, you know. Like Woodstock Music Festival didn't happen in Woodstock. It happened in uh, I can't remember the name of the fucking town, but it happened in a on a farm just outside of Woodstock, and that town doesn't get any credit. It's just Woodstock. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've got it. I've got that info here. Sheridan, Oregon. Sheridan is that. See, I pinned it down because I actually read a few articles from the Oregonian throughout the years. Mm -hmm. One of them said Dayton, which isn't correct, which is a town that is just northeast of McMinnville. They, they said there was on their Dayton farm. But what I've pinned it down to is Bellevue. Hmm. It could be. Yeah, I mean, because one, one of the Oregonian articles said that the farm was southwest in Bellevue. And Bellevue is southwest of McMinnville, about 10 miles. And that's what my research led me to believe was, it was Bellevue. What did you say? Sheridan? Sheridan. Yeah, it says it's like nine miles. Yeah, south. it's right there. I mean, it's like very southwest. close. Yeah, I think Bellevue is Sheridan. I've heard it was outside of Sheridan. But Sheridan's like not a big town, but it's, you know, whatever. People know that name. I don't know. I I guess it goes to say we don't really fucking know exactly. It's either Sheridan or Bellevue. Yeah, it's McMinnville. <laughs> it's McMinnville. Fuck yeah, it. you know. Um, but yeah, so it was Thursday, May 11th, 1950 on a farm southwest of McMinnville, about 10 miles. We'll say Sheridan, Oregon or Bellevue, Oregon. If someone can confirm where this farm is, because I, I, you know, I don't know the address and I haven't driven by, but uh, yeah, just southwest of McMinnville, around seven thirty-ish at night, Evelyn Trent went out to feed her chickens and rabbits behind the farmhouse where, you know, it's her and her husband Paul, Paul Trent, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and they're you know just simple farm farmers, um, so. Yeah, she goes out, feed the chickens, and she says the animals are acting totally normal. 
they're giving no giving off no signs of any anything weird going on and uh she looked up and saw a large metallic looking disc shaped object hovering silently in the sky a little northeast of their farm right this this is the story you've read yeah yeah um <laughs> I mean, I feel like there was a couple of different accounts. Like mm -hmm. the, the newspaper published one thing, the right. local newspaper, and then they got a different story. Was it the Life magazine? They 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 published the photos eventually in Life magazine, but I don't know if there was an actual story. Like, uh, yeah, in... I think it did. They did have a story, and they had okay. um, a crew go out because there's pictures of the Trent family mm -hmm. uh, soon after that time after it had already been published in multiple newspapers okay yeah yeah because it did get published locally and then it got picked up everywhere um, exactly yeah and then that's when it started getting attention but before all that happened it's actually an interesting story about how this all went down um so yeah and you know a way that it was described in one of the articles i read uh Evelyn, Evelyn, this is what Evelyn said it looked like. She said it looked like a good sized parachute canopy without the strings, only silver bright mixed with bronze. It was as pretty as anything I ever saw, <laughs> uh, which is cool, you know? Um, it's yeah, uh, yeah, bright, but, shiny. Yeah, big, shiny metallic objects in the sky. Um, so, you know, when she saw the object, she ran towards the house to, to get Paul, who was inside. She started yelling at him to get their camera and they couldn't find it. Right. Did, I guess they were scrambling around trying to find the camera. Um, I, I guess it was a folding Kodak Roamer for all you photographers out there. Uh, and then uh, they I think I read also in another article, they may have found it like in his truck or something, but they, there was a scramble and time wasted trying to find the camera. Right. Um, okay. I didn't, I didn't catch that part. Oh, anyway. really? Yeah. I read that in a couple, yeah. couple sources. My main, my main source for this actually is the UFO fest um, website that has what I believe is in, because McMinimins is like a brewery slash eatery. That's big out here in the Portland area. So McMinimins, I think they print it, they have a big printout of the story and I'm sure it's on all of the tables at the restaurant in McMinnville, right? Um, Probably, I've, I haven't been to that location. Me, neither have I, but I found the story online on the website and it, it's pretty detailed, it's nice. It, it tells the whole story. And this is basically where I'm getting a lot of this information is from that. Um, gotcha. So, yeah. A lot of my stuff, I mean, came from the Wikipedia, mm -hmm. which has some other sources that talk about the, the debunking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't really look at Wikipedia um, unless I have to, but it, some of these, some sometimes it's really great. Uh, but yeah, there, there's, there's been multiple Oregonian articles throughout the years that I, I, I found. And yeah, there's some like skeptical inquirer debunking stuff that's pretty fun that we'll get into. But yeah, the Oregonian and Oregon Live was a pretty good resource because there have been there have been a few stories throughout the years just recalling the story on anniversaries, anniversary dates and stuff, you know. Right. So that was a pretty cool resource. Uh, 
but yeah so right yeah i did read that there was a scramble a couple a couple sources for the camera so yeah she sees it runs in gets paul tells him they're running around like crazy people trying to find a camera i guess they find it and then um they run back out and the disc was still there still visible in the sky slowly moving to the west and then paul clicked off a snapshot and advanced the film as fast as he could and then it started to gain speed the the flying saucer and then it's it turned toward the northwest forcing paul they say to move rapidly to his right to get a second picture and uh, they said it all happened very quickly and both photos were taken within 30 seconds so there are two famous photos that Paul Trent took within 30 seconds, and those are the famed McMinnville UFO photos that we are talking about. Um, and very easily accessible. Just Google them, <laughs> McMinnville UFO, they pop up. Uh, and he, he described it as a round, shiny, wingless object, you know, and... Right. Um, and he was 43 at the time, uh, so still pretty agile, you know, and I'm sure she's same age, probably younger. Um, but yeah, they're, they're quote, the, the most famous photos ever to come out of Yamhill County. <laughs> <laughs> and that has got to be true. Well, yeah, they, these pictures have stood the test of time in, ter- in terms of like people that have tried to debunk them. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the greatest that's the greatest thing about this story is it's not just the sighting because of course the sighting's great but the you know there have been photos throughout the past but these have been heavily scrutinized by a lot of people and no one can say definitively that they're fake. Right. Which is the whole mystery and why it still stands as one of the greatest sightings ever in one of the greatest the greatest ufo photos possibly ever taken exactly yeah uh, there was the um that the debunker guy um robert schaefer mm-hmm. did you check out any of his um discussion there yeah i did right um he goes into i i read his whole uh article on the skeptical inquirer uh okay there's like a whole he goes through all of the um this is from 2015 the article i read he goes through quite a few different uh instances of people trying to in their methods of proving that this is a these are fake right um you know we can get into that a little bit later there there there's still a decent there's still some wackiness with these photos there's a story these things have been the negatives especially have been on an epic journey right you know, i was going to say like if you want to see the actual full frame mm-hmm. um, i think archive.org but also the debunker.com has links to those actual photos nice okay yeah i, don't, I haven't seen those um, so I, I need to check that out. <laughs> I, I think, um, maybe I shared that the second one, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, they have the full, um, you can actually like zoom in. They're really great scans. 
Oh, maybe I did see. Yeah, I did get on one website where they, yeah, they do scan, they do scan in and you do, it's a close up of the, of the object. It's pretty I interesting. Mean, if you want me to give the URL address. That's sure. So debunker.com slash Trent. Okay. T-R-E-N-T. And then at the bottom of that page, they have all the links to the high resolution stuff. Great. Yeah. And this is what people are using to basically prove that the, the, these these photos were faked, right? Right. Yeah. Enhanced um, photos. Yeah. These so I don't know. I don't know if you want to go into to that particular part yet, but um, mm, not yet. Let's let's keep talking about the uh, the journey of the days after these when these photos were taken. Um, do it because it is pretty interesting because uh, he Paul Trent didn't get the film developed immediately, which does raise some red flags to these frothy mouth debunkers. <laughs> They think it's very strange that he didn't rush to get the photos developed, but, and they maintain this the whole time until their death. I mean, they're just farmers, man. They really were just like, whoa, that's crazy. And then he still had a few frames left to use on that roll of film. And I'm sure they are people of very simple meager means and they're not going to waste anything so he they took their time and he he didn't develop the the film for like a month or some shit well they they, mother's day was coming and so they yeah that's right yeah i mean it's funny because uh the they were like on the roll of film they said there were some snow scenes uh, the weeping will, the weeping willow in his front yard, two images of a UFO, and three family picnic shots from Mother's Day <laughs> after the UFO. <laughs> right. <laughs> so once he finished the role, he got them developed, like you know, like a, I guess what a normal person would do with any normal roll of film. But this is not a normal roll of film. Right. Well, at the time too, that he thought that maybe it was just like an experimental mm-hmm. air force craft or something that's right it's like they kind of convinced themselves it was no big deal you know yeah exactly yeah so they just went on with their life and kept feeding the chickens and tending to the the, the land and <laughs> hanging out you know um yeah but yeah i mean uh you got them developed and uh he you know he showed them to his friends and one of them is a banker frank wartman uh wart with an o wartman (laughs) (laughs) and um it was it was frank old frankie boy who told the local newspaper the telephone register which is now the mcminnville news reporter or no 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 the telephone register merged with the McMinnville news reporter in 53 and it's now McMinnville news register. So if you subscribe to the McMinnville news register, this is essentially the same publication. So yeah, the telephone register. um, That's kind of a weird name for a paper, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Telephone. (laughs) 
Let's, let's print the telephone register so people can call each other. It must be what, how they started. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the paper sent out a reporter to interview the Trents in a, to acquire the photos. But when he came to, to borrow the negatives, the Trents couldn't even find them. <laughs> they didn't even know. They didn't even know where they were. This is like, I mean, it's just so chill. They don't, you know, they're not up in arms about seeing a UFO. And um, so after they looked around for a while, they found them under the couch, apparently, where one of their kids had shoved them while playing. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, just I, imagine. I, isn't there, a, I don't know if it was the original printing of the photo, but you can see a fingerprint on on one of the photos that's oh really out there it's not on the negative thank goodness but um one of the prints you could see like all of these lines where it looked like somebody had fingerprinted it oh no i didn't see that yeah that makes i mean yeah definitely you know before it was printed in the register didn't the banker have them up at the bank for a while yeah i think they i think uh he was displaying them um so yeah that's i i did read that uh it's kind of a funny place to be hey deposit he, your money and check out these ufos look what happened in my town but you know whatever it, it's it's getting it's um window shopping in a sense it's like hey check you like these weird photos maybe you want to start an account with my bank I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just draw, draw people in whatever whatever works yeah right uh, but on June 8th, which is the day after, and this is, you know, they, they took these photos May 11th. So this is June 8th now. And that's the, yeah, the day after the reporter got the negatives from the Trents, the telephone register ran the photos on its front page. And then the rest is history as, it, as, as they say. Right. Um, so yeah, the next, couple days portland and la papers started running articles and yeah soon after that it was you know circulating worldwide on the international news service ins and the ap associated press yeah and then the life magazine article you know all that shit was happening Re, um the life magazine was in june june 26th um but yeah they were okay. they were yeah. they were they were like and a lot of people did get kind of their 15 minutes of fame witnessing things like this back in the day. And for some reason, they always did go on television shows. The only thing that the Trents ever got out of this whole thing was basically a trip to New York City <laughs> to to be on a, a TV show called We the People. Um, yeah. What year was that? That was... July 7th, 1950, same year. Okay. So, you know, June 8th is when Mc, the McVinville paper published the story. Then June 12th and 13 is when it starts going worldwide on the AP and the INS. And then Life Magazine is June 26th. And then July 7th, they're getting flown to New York to be on TV. Um, and this is, where, this is where shit gets weird, Jeff. Okay. This is where the this is where the whacking the the sketchiness that there's always something sketchy with <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Every time. And the, you know, it's you don't know who's behind it. 
but you can take your own guesses. Um, the producers of We the People asked the Trents to bring the negatives with them to New York so they could borrow them. And then the Trents never saw the negatives again. And when they when they asked about the negatives and where they were, the only answer they got was that somehow they had been misplaced. Yeah, fucking right. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I'm sure the Air Force or, I mean, it was the Air Force. Somebody snagged them up. Had to, well, you know. I thought, I thought, uh, Maccabee, that one of the ufologist guy that worked for the Navy at one point, ended up with the the negatives. Yes, the negatives go on a journey. This is the beginning of the journey. I see. Um, they never really get back into the personal possession of the Trents, um, but they do resurface. <laughs> it's all right. Let's get into that because that you know that's that's the story. That's in a nutshell, folks. Farmers took two amazing photos in 1950, eventually had them developed and eventually got into the newspapers and eventually went worldwide. And they had a brief moment of fame. And then after that, they just they really wanted nothing to do with it anymore, honestly. Um, But then (laughs) then the negatives disappear, you know, and then. Decades still to this day, people trying to prove that they're fake and no one's done it. Uh, (laughs) So, well, I mean, when you say like nobody's done it, is there been like people have said they've debunked it. So have they never produced any evidence? Because I I still couldn't find any either. But people say that they're fake, at least a few. There is, we'll get into it here in a little bit because there's some like very scientific explanations that I do not understand at all. <laughs> uh, people will go hard. It, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there because it's, oh man, it's funny to me. Yeah, I, there's there's some, some science, but it's hard to kind of decipher what exactly they're talking about. Yeah, because a lot of it, the newer uh, research is it's a lot it's software based uh, like imaging and stats and data and I don't understand the numbers and what they're talking about but this is how they they have to interpret uh, a film negative you know and like digitally somehow create uh, the landscape around it and the camera angle and everything, you know, the yeah. time of day. And it's, it's all very crucial data that is input into whatever fucking software. And they come up with all these crazy uh, conclusions. Well, that, based on like the angles of light and shadow and stuff like that, because where of where the sun is located and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and that, that does become a problem eventually with some of these debunkers. Right. Um, because uh, the Trents said it was, uh, you know, sundown, seven, almost 8 p.m. And uh, a lot of these, a couple of these debunkers say it was actually morning. It's like, how do you fuck up that detail? Um, All right. <laughs> um, 
But you know, also another another interesting thing, uh, Evelyn. She had seen UFOs before, so there's always that, like, uh, like in the Betty and Barney Hill case, like Betty always she kind of had she was like predisposed to seeing things um but the only difference between this and the hill case is there's photographic evidence but the you know evelyn evelyn claims to have seen uh she told the oregonian in 1950 that she'd seen flying saucers at the coast three separate times but no one would believe her and then then she told the Oregonian something similar in the seventies that she saw, that she saw something similar in the seventies. So this was out on the coast, not in, well, in 1950, the same year they saw the UFO on the farm. Mm -hmm. She claims to have seen flying saucers at the coast three separate times. That's, that's interesting because I, I know that the coast of Oregon is a, a higher, has a higher rate of seeing UFOs in general. Right. And it's just interesting. I mean, so this, this McMinnville sighting or Bellevue or Sheridan or whatever, that would be her fourth sighting of the year, which is, you know, that's kind of curious, right? Yeah. Uh, That is, I mean, did her husband say the same thing or was he, did he never really say? He doesn't care. (laughs) From everything that I've read, especially when they got older, they'd be talking to her and she's into talking about it. And he's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, we're talking about that UFO. He's like, I thought I told you to forget about that. <laughs> like, just he, like, he just doesn't give a shit, which right. is, <laughs> he's like, ah. Typical. You know? <laughs> give it up. Got the photo. What else do you want? He's like, Jesus Christ, we're still talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> Move on, stupid. <laughs> It's but 1967. That, <laughs> but this is what I love about the super scientific methods used to debunk us a very simple man and his wife <laughs> that just like took two photos and people are dedicating their lives to just yeah. destroying <laughs> the 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 validity of these photos that these these farmers allegedly uh either uh perpetuated the hoax themselves or fell prey to it but you know who knows i don't know it's just like they don't fucking care so keep keep doing your research and trying to prove them wrong i mean they're dead and gone but they didn't give two shits to begin with (laughs) or at least at least paul didn't like he really didn't seem to care well and they didn't even care about where the negatives were really yeah oh We'd like to have those back. Yeah, that's the thing is like they didn't really try to get them back, and they made no money off of these photos ever. And they're two of the most famous, if not the most famous, UFO photos of all time. Right. And people are making probably they're probably making money doing with reprints like crazy. Well, didn't didn't the 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 telephone register like get uh, orders from all across the United States, if not worldwide? Um, I mean, didn't they mention that somewhere? The, <clears throat> the telephone register eventually did end up with the negative, so that makes sense. Like, I think they're still in possession of them. Um, right. They eventually right. got back, but they did. They did. 
like I said, take a journey. So, um, I thought they said something about the the paper making a profit initially before or around the same time that uh, mm. Life magazine was preparing their own thing, but before Shit. that came out. Maybe, but it, everything that I've read, if that happened, the Trents didn't see any of that money. Right, exactly. No, it all went to the newspaper. Yeah, because they said the only thing they got monetarily or the only thing they even got at all out of this was a trip to New York City. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> no, that's not too bad. I mean, getting out of the farm for a couple of days. I mean, if you're if they want, actually like the city, sure. They probably complained about it the whole time and they wanted to go home. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, New York City. <laughs> Get me out of here. Uh, I told you I didn't want to come to this wretched place. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, yep. But yeah, so the the so yeah, the the negatives go missing in 1950 when they go to New York, right? Um so what happened is they not much happened in terms of research or whatever for, for the next decade. It was not until the sixties that they started getting investigated by with the Condon committee through the U S air force, which I've, which I've talked about before. It was a massive undertaking at the university of Colorado where they, you know, they were basically looking at any case worth looking at and trying to get to the bottom of it. You know, like, are any of these legit? Is anything about UFO sightings legit? Um, it was a three-year investigation led by physicist Edward Condon, and uh, yeah, they were. It was like a, they wanted to, to to determine once and for all: are they real? Are UFOs real? <laughs> you know. Um, but it was during the Condon investigation. Uh, that the negatives conveniently resurfaced <laughs> 17 years later. So this is 1967. They turned up in a UPI file and were handed over to the Condon committee. Can you believe that? Like, well, right. con that, that committee was uh, part of the project blue book. Is that right? Or am I thinking wrong? What, uh, yeah, I think so. Blue Book, it was Blue Book in the 60s. Yeah, it was Blue Book by then. Yeah, that makes sense because it's, it was the Air Force too. So yeah, Air Force, like, I, like I'm speculating, they are the ones that stole the negatives. And then when they're investigating it, all of a sudden they resurfaced because they had them the whole fucking time. Right. I'm willing to <laughs> bet 100% they, the Air Force had them. Um. So yeah, uh, but the Condon committee did nothing but solidify the legitimacy of the Trent photos because of all of the cases that they looked at, however many, I don't know the exact number, but over three years of looking at cases, they... They concluded in this, I'm going to say a direct quote. This is one of the few UFO reports in which all factors investigated appear to be consistent with the assertion that an extraordinary flying object flew within sight of two witnesses. 
So, right. you know, they... And this was the first time that it was documented in front of two people, right? Oh, I, I didn't really think about that. Yeah, two instead, yeah, multiple people. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really think about that. With a photo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With a photo, exactly. Yeah, because, you know, Betty and Barney Hill got abducted, but there's, you know, there's no photos, so. <laughs> <laughs> gotta keep that camera on you at all times, I mean. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, Condon Report, or the Condon Committee, basically brought the case back into some sort of prominence and kind of put it in the upper echelon of sightings throughout history and it still kind of remains there it's definitely still one of the the it's unfuckwithable in a sense you know like people say that they've debunked it but it's just you believe them or you don't like the story lives on regardless it's legendary right you know? like people can believe the debunkers or not uh, but the story is never going to die because it's just too damn good. And it took too long to debunk it, you know? Yeah. Well, and in terms of like the, the whole negatives, like disappearing mm -hmm. from, from what I've read in different places, it sounded like they agreed to give it to the local newspaper mm -hmm. and then the local newspaper put it into that UPI file, mm -hmm. which which went to the main headquarters and it stayed there until mm -hmm. 1968. So it was, I think this, the, the news media basically just like had these things readily available for years and years until somebody asked for a copy or a print. See, well, well what I have written down is following the conclusion of the Condon report, the negatives were returned to the UPI. And in 1970, they were sent back to the news register which is was formerly the telephone register in McMinnville. Um, well, at so, some point, I think the the newspaper or the Trents. Okay, this is what I remember. the The Trents told the newspaper Bruce Maccabee mm -hmm. would like these negatives so he could analyze them, and he had contacted the Trents directly, mm -hmm. and so the newspaper then sent it to Bruce officially so that they could send it you know safely i guess mm -hmm. and then he had them for ever so <laughs> i don't i'm not even sure yeah uh, but I, I do remember hearing something about him trying to get the negatives back to the trends mm -hmm. but via again like the newspaper and then that's how the newspaper ended up with them and well that, that do, they, could... do they still have them well, that chronology kind of checks out because if the newspaper had them in 1970, Bruce Maccabee didn't have them until 1975. So he got them from the newspaper um, is what I have. And then maybe when he was done with them, uh, he tried to get them back. But according to what I've read, the newspaper already had them in 1970 and Maccabee got them from them okay yeah uh, um, that, that sounds right uh but these negatives when they when the when the news register the tele the old telephone register newspaper got the negatives after 20 years being gone from you know the local 
uh, well, from McMinnville, basically. Yeah. They, had, they had been tampered with considerably, they say. Um, someone had cropped the negatives, trimming down the edges and reducing their overall size so that parts of the original image were missing. Oh. Yeah. Um, Weird. Yeah, so who, exactly, like who, the, whatever. This is the shit that always happens, man. It's like, uh, well, it's like that, the, I mean, that kind of sounds like, oh, just give them to the little local newspaper and then they do whatever stupid thing they yeah. do with a negative. Man, it's the, it's the same thing with the, I can't remember the name of it right now, but the I did an episode about the, the film in Great Falls, Montana, where the guy got actual moving picture film of UFO flying over his baseball stadium. And people trimmed his negative. They actually took the best part out of it. Like the negatives used to get fucked with all the time. If you if you let it go out of your hands, someone's going to mess with it. And weird. very intentional for whatever reason, you know. Well, if you think about it, like if you know what you're doing with a negative, you don't want to cut it. No. Yeah, not not intentionally anyway. No, are trying to hide something. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it could have been somebody trying to hide what would have proved that it was fake, or the opposite. I don't know. You don't know. You don't know people's intentions. This all this shit happens in the in the shadows, man. Right. <laughs> in the well, in the dark room. <laughs> I wonder if any of the experts that evaluate these negatives if they have any insight on uh, why that might be at least in, in terms of this particular case yeah why, why would they be trimmed down yeah somebody had some in, some intentions uh whatever they may be behind that right. i don't know i don't know i mean why else would you do it unless you're trying to change history right yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but um speaking about maccabee dr bruce maccabee uh famous dr bruce maccabee um, in 1975, he, he's an optical physicist, which I don't really know what that means. Um, but he was actually a keynote speaker at the McMinivan's first UFO festival 21 years ago. Huh. Isn't that crazy? That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. But, uh, yeah, he got the negatives in 1975, uh, And I guess he has a background in optical data processing at the U.S. Naval Service Warfare Center. So apparently he put the photos through every kind of available test, looking for signs of fraud and data that would that about the object uh, being possibly suspended in the air. Right. And uh, he he and apparently a number of other leading researchers uh, their findings strongly supported the claims by the Condon report, igniting a new round of exchanges between researchers and skeptics. So he basically echoed what the Condon committee said, which is, uh, I can't disprove this really <laughs> at the time. Right, yeah. yeah at, in 1975. So like all, all of the, the photo um, evidence or the, the should say like the light evidence in the photo mm-hmm. pointed to it looking like it was inaccurate at the time of the event without it actually being manipulated in any way mm-hmm. i mean that's what he that's basically what he boiled it down to right 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, here you go. Can I can I read you a, a line from his website? Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Brumac. <laughs> he likes to go by Brumac, I guess. Oh, oh, that's man. The, the hybrid, the hybrid name. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the results of the new photometric analysis suggest that the bottom of the UO is too bright for it to have been a non-self-luminous white paper surface of a nearby object. Hence, it could have been distance. Hmm. Can you, I don't know if I follow that. So uh, they're talking about like the bottom side in, yeah, the, in the image, right? So it's, it's dark, it's not lit up. So it's, if right. it was, that was closer, it was, should have a little more light so you can see the bottom of, of that. Right. Object. Yeah, because in one in one of the photos, the bottom of the saucer is tilted towards the lens and it's just black, basically. It's dark. It's not illuminated. Correct. And that's caused by the distance of that object from the camera. Mm -hmm. So if, if it was, say, hanging from the phone wires that were going across in the frame. Yeah, because there, there are phone, telephone wires above where this thing is. Yeah. And a lot of people think that it's suspended from that. Which, which yeah. So he's he's saying that they would, that object should be able to be seen from the bottom more than it would than it was. Mm -hmm. So it's darker because it's further, much further away. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um. And that was what he was talking about from his 1975. I think uh, so. Yeah, because he he yeah. he can he continued because through the eighties and nineties, uh, yeah he he was he he didn't stop um, trying to figure this this thing out. Right. Um, so they he he hooked up with this guy Brad Sparks, and they were you know they just kept researching the thing. And they were trying to figure out, like all these new hoax theories started coming out, saying that it was a prank, and uh, the saucer was actually the rear view mirror of a '40s pickup truck. Right. Like okay. Um, and as recently as 1999, uh, this is a while ago. This article was written. Uh, yeah, there was new. There's new attempts cropping up at the turn of the century, people, people trying to debunk these photos, right? So was that the '99 one? Who was who was that published by? Well, it wasn't '99 exactly. It's just this article. Just it just says that around that time there are yeah. new, yeah, new efforts. Um, but they, I mean, they continue for you know whatever for beyond. Um, right. So. You know, Philip Class, Class with the K. I'm going to do a whole, I've talked about this before. I'm going to do a whole episode on Philip Class. He's like one of the, he doesn't think anything's ever happened. Right. Uh, famous debunker. But he claims that the sunlight shows the pictures were taken in the morning, like I said earlier. And, uh, and he also finds it very strange that they waited weeks to develop such extraordinary film, which is just like basic, whatever. You can just, 
I mean, to me, that gives it more merit because yeah, like, yeah, oh, I don't really believe I saw anything too crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you said, we they tried to just say maybe it was experimental, uh, man-made craft. So right, whatever they talk themselves down. Uh, they didn't. I mean, they're fucking farmers, man. They're not trying to get worked up. Yeah, you know. So they were chilling. not even trying to make a buck. Not even. Uh, but this guy Hartman, um, his did I get his first name? Shit, I don't know if I got his first name. But he was uh one of the main researchers for the Condon Committee. Um, right. Yeah. He he acknowledged, even though they couldn't prove it you know, with the Condon committee that a fabrication could be possible. So, you know, he talks about how the object appears beneath a pair of wires and that it could have been a model suspended from one of the wires. And he says that the possibility of that is strengthened because the, the object uh, appears beneath roughly the same point in the two photos in spite of them being taken from two positions because you know he had to move he had to shuffle to the right for yeah. to take the second photo but apparently according to hartman the object kind of just stays in the same place uh but how i mean that doesn't yeah sound right to me if you look at the photos he says he says that the sole factor suggesting that the object is distant is a measured anomalous brightness on the underside of the object in photo one compared with the brightness of the shaded underside of the oil tank i don't think it has an oil tank buddy seriously oh wait a minute no the oil tank on the ground that's what he's talking about there's an oil tank on the ground okay right (laughs) i was yeah to to the left by the was it a shed or the house or something right yeah so I'm going to just read straight off this uh, site. This is from the Skeptical Inquirer article I read. But it's a, the, the assumption is that in the case of a model, the two shaded regions ought to have about the same brightness. Since the underside of the object is brighter than the underside of the tank, the assumption is that atmospheric scattering is the cause, and hence the object is at a significant distance from the camera, However, if any of the assumptions are incorrect, the photo, the photometry <laughs> results are meaningless among, okay, yeah. So among the possible violations of those assumptions is the object is translucent, allowing light from the sky to pass through, which is interesting. Right. Uh, the object has a mirror surface at the bottom. Uh, thus, we are seeing a reflection of the bright ground and not a shaded surface. And the underside of an object suspended several feet above the ground from the wires receives much more illumination than that of a tank near the ground next to a wall. So I mean, it is kind of odd that if it was at 730 in the evening, mm-hmm. that it would have such darkness on the bottom side but right being in oregon you know we have a lot of diffused light especially even at that hour you know so if the clouds are just lit up at it's 7 30 in may may yeah you know that's uh you know longer days longer uh, it could be overcast i don't know usually 
maybe. I think. I mean, wasn't that what they were saying that it was was overcast that day? Or I mean, it looks like that in the photos. It looks like a typical yeah. Oregon day, or you know, Western Oregon, right? Um, but you know, this goes on to say that there are very distinct shadows on the garage in both photos. Although the Trents claim the photos were taken around sunset, and they say that the problem with that is the wall faces east, and the sun is in that position. They say about ninety degrees azimuth <laughs> at about eight twenty a.m. Uh, so if the photos were actually taken in the morning, the Trents were lying about yeah the the, the circumstances. Right. So. He, he he says that he found that by measuring the shadows that he that we can greatly restrict the size of the object cast in the shadows. In fact, it is so small that it is almost certainly less than one degree. This estimates every possible source source of illumination except the sun. Um, yeah, hmm. so Hart, Hartman goes in on it. He he seems to think it's a a, a morning situation. So basically that it's a hoax because of or, that. Or the their story's wrong. <clears throat> they because they claim it was 7:30 at night. It's like why would they lie about that? Right. Or, or how could they be that fucking confused, you know? I mean, what if it was 7:30 in the morning? I mean, yeah, it could be, <laughs> but there that just if, if it is, why the hell would both of them say it was 7.30 at night? You know, Right. It doesn't make any sense. It is kind of weird. I mean, if you're, if you're studying the light of, of where the sun is and the shadows that are cast, it, it doesn't. you can definitely determine a lot. Uh, and a lot of people seem to think it was in the morning. Well, I, I, again, I feel like it's hard to tell when it's overcast because it's True. much more diffused. True. I mean, you can split. You can dig as deep as you want into all this stuff, man. I mean, it's just you know, but this is this is why the story lives, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's hard to really put your finger on one side or the other. Yeah. Although, I mean, there's to me, there's not enough evidence to debunk it. It seems that way. Yeah. Um, and you know, for for the listeners that haven't looked up the photos yet, or seem to know exactly what we're talking about these are literal kind of saucers to me it looks like like kind of a, almost like a, a deep dish kind of plate upside down with like a fucking bolt sticking through the middle yeah it's almost like uh, if you get um food at a hotel and they, and they put a cover over the top of your plate mm-hmm. yeah like one of those little like, yeah with like yeah, but they always have like the finger hole in the middle, or some of them do. I used to work at places that they would have like a finger hole in the middle. Oh, right. And then you mm-hmm. can stick a bolt or something right through that fucking hole and tie it to a string and yada yada. Uh, it could just be a, a truck's side mirror as well. It could, yeah, could definitely be just a truck side mirror. <laughs> uh, but uh, in 2004, a researcher named Joel Carpenter. He is the guy, rest in peace, Joel Carpenter. I guess he passed in 2014. Um, He is the guy that suggested it was uh, the mirror from the old truck. Okay. Uh, And saying, I I guess, 
he had a website. I don't know what the website is, but he, they say he made a very good case that the object was directly beneath the overhead wires and close to the camera. Hmm. Um, so what he says is that Trent's camera was surprisingly close to the ground when the photos were taken. And for some bizarre reason, Trent did not stand up to photograph the UFO, but crouched down. I was like, I don't think that's very strange. Honestly, I would probably do that. But I mean, I don't know what kind of, uh, you know, if he had a photographic eye or he's artistic minded in any way, or he was just, but you imagine if he's in a hurry, he's not going to take the time to crouch down. He's just going to fucking pop that shit off. Right. Well, what if he needed to crouch down? So it wasn't behind the wires, you know, he wants to get a clear shot of it. So yeah. It very true. Um, How does he know that it was sitting on the ground? I, I haven't, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's, well, wouldn't you see something in front of the frame, like grass or, I mean, it's, it's a farm. Yeah. Some foreground. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let me, let me continue. Maybe he gets into it because uh it, it, it this is this this is all part of carpenter's research uh he says instead of moving toward the object and shooting the photos from eye level in the unobstructed front yard he shot the two photos from a very low level from the backyard and uh it seems like he actually used the viewfinder on the body of the camera while kneeling and he says the overall geometry of the positions and the attributes of the camera suggest that he was attempting to frame a nearby object in such as a way to maximize the amount of sky around it and enhance its over its apparent altitude. Hmm. Yeah. So in other words, he says Trent walked away from where the UFO was or was supposed to be and instead walked toward where the presumed model was hanging from the wires and crouched down close to the ground to take to make the UFO appear distant. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a possibility, I suppose. If it's, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, assuming that it, it's a hoax and it's fake and it's, he's just, he knew how to, uh, frame up the photo just so to sell that distance you know right but why why would a simple farmer do this you know i, I don't know or uh, whatever yeah because i mean they didn't even seek any compensation and they gave away the, the negatives like here just take these man, them up. You, you you never know man someone could have approached them gave them a bunch of money and says this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna yeah, do this still, i'm gonna have a farm yeah, but I'm just saying that in secret, some someone could have been like, I'm going to do this. Here's a bunch of money. I'm going to use your farm. I'm going to take these photos. And then you say you took them and we'll fuck with the whole world forever. <laughs> and the, yeah. the trans are loyal, simple folk. They took the cash, didn't never said a word. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's pretty far-fetched uh, <laughs> i mean they're farmers yeah who knows man but hey someone offers a bunch of cash it's why true not? it's true a bunch of weird shit I mean, in I, the 50s and still does did anybody investigate them 
did they like go and see like look at their bank records and be like hey where did um, this money come from not that not that i've read and i don't think they had any sketchy money dealings like i said all i've read is they made zero dollars right did i uh, did i say that that uh, video the news report with the their like the two daughters and they were trying to get the negatives back Mm-mm. oh if you did send it to me i might not have watched it cool i think that was yeah the like the first thing i sent you but it was a news report from the local portland news mm-hmm. and the the two daughters had been trying to get the negatives they just wanted it back in the family right to try to finally make some money on it uh, but the newspaper they they had received them from uh whoever and we're just holding on to them uh, and i think they're they basically said like we're gonna keep them you're never gonna see them again that's rude yeah people are fucked up man it's just like it's not even yours i mean they were stolen from him right well they just, it, they they, just never cared to get them back they didn't give a shit i think the newspaper they're the owner of the newspaper said that he wanted to make sure that those photos were preserved for everyone. Mm-hmm. So like keep them in a like a museum archive type of thing. Yeah, uh, I just feel bad when the family's like requesting something that it, it seems rightfully theirs, right? And they're just like, uh, no, I think we've had them for the last fifty years. We'll uh, we're just gonna hold on to them, <laughs> even though you know, yeah. They're not really ours. Oh, it's kind of weird. I but, agree. Um, yeah, but you know the uh, the debunking continues, Jeff. Now, does it? Because I, uh, I mean, there's more. Oh, I got more. There's some pretty funny stuff. Are you talking about more recent stuff, or yeah, yeah, in the last yeah. decade? Um. In 2010, an anonymous researcher calling himself Blue Shift, <laughs> um, he he was trying to see if uh, they say since the camera moved a significant distance between the two photos, can the two photos possibly be viewed as a stereo pair to reveal the object's distance? So this blue shift guy, I guess, tried to do it. Um, uh, so so take, taking both of the the photos and creating a three D, so like dividing it and just having them side by side. I guess because he says, when you cross your eyes to see the image in three D, the UFO is seen to be small and relatively close to the camera compared with the distant hills. And another way of demonstrating the same thing, uh, I guess, a, a montage by this guy, David Slater, demonstrates that when the two Trent photos are overlaid so that the wires are lined up, the images of the UFOs line up as well, uh, which is interesting. Uh, they say that both of these demonstrations show that the UFO appears to be fixed with respect to the overhead wires. Got it. That's, yeah. That was in okay. 2010. Um, you know, the that fact that... 
Was there any way to actually see that though? There is a link. Yeah, there's a link to. Uh, I think I tried to open it, but it didn't open. Yeah, because it's, it's a it's a photo bucket photo, and I don't have photo bucket. Gotcha. <laughs> which sucks, but yeah, I tried to look at it, but I couldn't see. Um, I'll post. I'll I'll send you a link, and I'll post a link to this skeptical inquirer article because they put links to all of the photos that these people did their research with okay. uh, but, but like i, I said I yeah like i said this one's a photo bucket link and if you don't have photo bucket you can't see it unless you sign up which is annoying but, um yeah and this this next one from 2013 there's a pdf file of their report but it was a french a group of french skeptics that uh, used, uh, it's I guess it's Ipaco, I-P-A-C-O, software. Nice. Uh, and they did a super in-depth investigation. And um, since they began with the usual description of the line of sight of the object to each photo, um, and the, like the presumed suspension methods of, of the, the craft and they concluded that the object is a small model. Uh, Using software, their Epaco software. Yeah, yeah. And I, this is shit I don't understand. This is the this is the stuff. All right. Uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna read this because I think this is this is the shit that I love. This is the shit that is so funny. Simple farmers took these photos, and this is the shit that comes from it. <laughs> People just freak out. I love this. Like dedicate their lives. And this isn't even this isn't even all of it. I mean, there's there's more. Uh, there's a little more coming after this. That's just on the same level. But so sure. the second part of this Ipico report complete. It was completed two months after the first part, which I just talked about. Where they concluded that it was a a small model. Right. So evidence of a suspension thread which is on page 29 of the ipico report uh, they do not claim to detect the suspension thread directly but instead statistically and this must be what the software <laughs> does because this is shit i just really do not understand uh, so they conclude and i quote for the trnt1 picture which i guess is the file name trent one Right. The presence of a negative peak, and then in parentheses, thread darker than the sky, was clearly observed, which matched exactly to the supposed attachment point with a significant difference of 2.38 sigma for a tilt angle equal to negative 11 degrees. <laughs> Application of the same method to the second picture, TRNT2, provided comparable results with a tilt angle of negative 10.29 degrees and results of over 2.5 sigma. <laughs> I don't know what sigma is. I have some, some sort of like mathematical measurement. Uh, I don't know. It's beyond my level. That's yeah, sure. that's, that's what I'm saying. If anyone <laughs> understands, write me and explain. But I guess this is what that Epico software... Uh, they it creates these statistics. Um, 
through I, I, I really don't know if it creates like a 3d model of the fucking thing and uh, i don't know how they determine these things uh, it looks like it's probably something where it just looks at the imagery and then deciphers distance based on i don't know some sort of reference point i would guess right that may, i mean it makes sense the buildings and stuff like right. that yeah so they but they detected a thread huh yeah they seem to have detected a thread that was darker than the sky was clearly observed <laughs> uh and it yeah um so after that another researcher weighed in j j j walter now his name is j a y with the middle initial initial j <laughs> so j j as long as you can spell that out without spelling out J-A-Y twice. J.J. Walter of Phoenix, Arizona. I guess he's the author of a suspense horror novel called Blood Tree, and I'm sure many others. Uh, he did his own investigation, and, and he was working with high-resolution scans of first-generation prints that that guy Robert Schaefer that you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. sent him, because Robert Schaefer is the author of the Skeptical Inquirer article that I've been reading from. Um, so JJ did his own photo enhancement using the program art gem, which yeah. I, I, I don't know shit about. I haven't heard of that one. So he said that even using a 4.21 GHZ, what is that? Gigahertz? Gigahertz. Yeah. 4.2 gigahertz quad core 64 bit processor with eight gigs of system RAM. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's nothing. I'm sorry, that's nothing. He was... MacBook Air. <laughs> well, well, with that system, he was still getting quotes out of memory errors. <laughs> uh, and I'm assuming this must be around 2013, 2014, if it was after the typical French research. Uh, so he says, however, he preserved and produced a series of photos appearing to detect portions of a suspension thread above the object in both photos. The purported string cannot be seen across its entire length, which is consistent with the French skeptics uh, being able to detect it, detect it only statistically. Um, and it, I guess it's significant that Walter and the French team were working with different scans. So I guess this Walter guy uh, actually has photographic evidence and the French team has statistical evidence. I guess uh, I, when they say statistical, they're talking about the measurements that they right. do from the imagery that indicate that even though they can't see it, it shows in the numbers. Yeah, I guess, dude. They, yeah, uh, uh, presence of a negative peak, was, <laughs> which is the thread that is darker than the sky, was clearly observed. So, and matched, exactly matched the supposed attachment point. So, yeah, statistically, and now I guess photographically, uh, 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 an attachment string has been detected. Um, so another this JJ Walter actually discovered what he calls a logo, a quote unquote logo. Um, and it says an apparently flat area with two holes 
where it appears a logo plate might be attached or possibly even a handle. Um, yeah. So, so he, I guess on, he just on the actual uh, UFO. Yes. Uh, like Coca-Cola. I guess. I don't know. But I love the author. He writes, is this real or is it simple pareidolia, pareidolia? Uh, which I guess is seeing a pattern where none exists. And then he writes, confirmation is needed. <laughs> of course confirmation is needed. That's all we've been waiting for. <laughs> this whole time. I thought this was the confirmation. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there's space for a logo. I mean, so, somebody's got to corroborate what he's saying using a different method. Yeah, I, I don't know. But Walter suggests that the object is an is an an appliance motor shroud, approximately eight inches in diameter, and this is what he says. And I quote: "I think Trent walked to the garage one evening, tied a string to an appliance motor shroud via an old bolt." tossed the shroud over a wire and tied the other end of the string to an anchor near the ground, then took the two pictures. He says, logical, practical, and so much less effort for him than other theories. People just do what they do, and Trent wasn't going to go to too much effort just to fool his banker buddy. So he's trying to say that the Trent did this intentionally to fuck around with his banker buddy right i mean <laughs> and that and the newspaper because i mean yeah well yeah so he's trying to go the simple i mean to me it's more simple just to say hey there's a ufo listing photo. yeah exactly <laughs> what? i love the there's... lengths that these people go to <laughs> they do all these crazy in-depth scientific and uh just st uh, statistical apparently uh just um investigation like processing yeah and then you got the guy just like oh i just think he went to the garage and put a few things together and took a photo to fuck with his buddy took me took me years to come to that but it, it's all possible it's all possible man and i my theory of <laughs> someone paying them and handing them a bag of cash because they're getting their jollies yeah. by fucking around with people why not but anyway I, that's all i got for all the debunking that shit is is fun I mean, there's it's a fun. lot there's a lot and that's that's a good article that the skeptical inquirer really I mean, that guy's he's known for going into detail on these sorts of things. Right? Uh, Robert Schaefer. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, I guess so. I, I don't really know much about him, but uh, I'm going well, to definitely try to. So the, the Joel Carpenter guy, uh, he he had some other things to say about this in particular, but I, I, I couldn't find anything. Um. I mean, I've seen his name before, and he's debunked other car parts or whatever they might be. No, he he's the guy who thinks it's the mirror from the old truck, and okay, um, gotcha. Yeah, he he yeah yeah that's that's that guy. 
Gotcha. Um, so did you uh, did you hear that the first images in the X Files intro is supposedly the McMinnville UFO? That makes sense. I saw that somewhere. I think if you do like if you do a search for X Files McMinnville, somebody mm -hmm. in there says that those photos. And if you look at the intro, they look similar, but they look mm -hmm. a lot more cleaned up. So they might have messed with them a bit. But yeah. I, believe, I believe that the McMinnville UFO ended up in the storyline for X Files. I wouldn't doubt it, man. Like it's like we've been talking about. It's one of the most famous documented uh, sightings, if not the I, most famous. It's, it's it's the most famous. It has to be. I mean, I mean, I mean, that, aside from Roswell. Yeah, but without like any weird government cover-up bullshit or character witness problems or, you know, like this one yeah, just seems like the first major like photographic evidence. Two witnesses, photographs, and these people are of uh, uh, they have many redeemable qualities. They don't seem like shady people. The only shady thing is Evelyn having seen objects multiple times in her life, which can be, you know, right. she's looking for it. But even if she's looking for it, she fucking found it and her husband took photos of it. <laughs> so it's, well, hard. I it's heard, hard. I heard recently that isn't Oregon like the second most like highest place to see a UFO? I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know what number one is, but I think number number two is Oregon. We see more UFOs than any other state. <laughs> I'd imagine. I'd imagine it's California, man. It's California or Texas. Um, yeah. But I mean, it makes sense. It's just it's so overcast here all the time. It's like, uh, you got you get got to get lucky or have a close encounter. I don't know. It's yeah. The skies, it's, you know, when there's a, a, a comet passing through, are the moons in some cool phase and or whatever, or there's a, a meteor shower. It's hard in Oregon to see those things. <laughs> I mean, especially I know, in the city, I'm... it's like you got to find the right fucking spot to get get it a clear sky, you know. It's true. Yeah. I don't know why, how many people are seeing these things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've been waiting for four decades to see something. Me too, man. Now, now all I get are the Starlink passing over on the clear nights. Have you you've seen many of the Starlink? Mm -mm. The new uh, that's the new internet by satellite by Mr. Elon Musk. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I don't. I see satellites all the time when on a clear night. I don't know which one I'm looking at though. Oh man, you'll, there's just so many of them now. It's it yeah. makes it difficult. I mean, every night. Yeah, I mean, the first time I <laughs> saw a satellite, of course, I was like, "What the fuck is that?" And someone had to explain it to me. And like, look at it; it's in orbit; it's a straight line. It's I'm like, and there's many of them. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was tripped out the first time. Yeah, there's there's a great app called Night Sky. Um, in fact, 30 minutes ago, I got a notification saying that International Space Station is flying over. So you can you can use that to track and see like oh what the hell is that night sky, like, yeah awesome it's a, it's a fun one is it free? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I oh, actually perfect. I actually subscribe. It's like a yearly thing. It's not too bad. Um, 
I think that you might have a free trial. I, I want to say they have some basic stuff for free, but there's some other ones out there too that are free. And if you really want to know what it is, it uses um, augmented reality. So well, if it's unidentified, will they tell you in the app? Like, is there an uh, alert? Say, I, we don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> like the, the screen, the screen starts blinking red, and it's like <laughs> alert. And what is I that? So. We don't even know what that is. That'd be cool. As soon as that happens, I'll let you know. Yeah, please. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Is, is there anything else you wanted to get into? Is there any? There, there were some similar sightings around the same time of similar of certain crafts around the world that seem to like that. The, the only one that I know of is that one in 50, 1957 in France, where they got a picture of a very similar saucer. But you you need you know a little more about well i mean there's there's so many that are like the saucer shaped but um, classic shape yeah i feel like around the same time um i feel like there was quite a few like in california mm -hmm. um there was another one i think it was was it oakdale it's like Northern California, there were a couple of scientists that were driving to work. Uh -huh. um, they wouldn't say where they were going to work, but they saw multiple disks that were flying up towards the sky. And eventually they saw some other larger ship as well, but they were, the, the smaller ones were saucer shaped, uh -huh. but they didn't have any documentation of that. Right. This was in the fifties as well. I don't know. I feel like there were so many in the fifties. It's kind of hard to piece something together. There are a lot. There were a yeah. lot, man. I mean, uh, like I, I say all the time, I, I read the APRO bulletins all the time and they, they started in the fifties. Uh, and dude, from all around the world, every month, <laughs> sightings yeah. like, and a lot of them are, yeah, disc or saucer shaped. It's just, if you're if you're going to see something back then i mean that's the that's the shape you know uh i mean right. even i mean it's classic and uh, the 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 mcminnville trent photos are the best evidence photographic evidence I, I, ever i'm gonna i'm gonna have to say ever and they've been highly scrutinized and uh it took a long time it took couple decades before people actually started really saying they see a string you know right you know they see they see a point of suspension but you know the technology had to catch up with it and i'm like man this if this guy if this simple farmer and his wife are that fucking genius more power to him if they if they well it <laughs> It was much harder to mess with photos back then, too. Oh, I mean, yeah. You could just snap a photo. You had to do, like, some crazy photo on top of photo stuff. Yeah. In, in a dark room in order to really mess with anything. Yeah, and you could dodge and burn and do all that stuff. But he went and got them developed. Or he got prints from, I mean, someone else did it for him. You know, he, right. wasn't, he wasn't developing his own film and getting, like, creating his own prints it was just here's your photos man you know here's your negatives yep taking it down to the pharmacy yeah ex exactly 
just normal shit. And that's what comes up are these classic photos. Um, but yeah, poor, poor old Evelyn died in 1997 and Paul died in 1998. That's true love <laughs> within a year. I mean, that's what, you know, it happens, but they, they both insisted till their dying days that everything, the sighting, the photos were genuine. So, and now there, there is the UFO festival in McMinnville. Like we said, it is happening, supposed to be happening this year, our next year, May 13th through May 15th, 2021 in McMinnville, Oregon. Yes, I bet Just, they'll do it this year. Yeah, I know you got to buy like, you got to buy tickets, I think, to certain events that they have, certain speakers, and uh, it's a big deal. So let's go, Jeff. Yeah, I don't, let's try it out. I, I'm sure there's plenty to cover there. UFOfest.com, right? Uh, you, yeah, UFOfest.com. That is the website. Uh, yeah, I'll go. We'll go to McMinimins. I'll get a Rubinator, uh, which I haven't had in a while, and I'll I'll have many Rubinators, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, which is a great hybrid of their Ruby Red Ale and their Terminator Stout. At, at McMinimins. Yeah, I used to love those. Uh, free plug, it's... you sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yes. Ah, that's it. That's cool. it, man. That's the McMinnville UFO sighting and photos of 1950 from beautiful McMinnville, Oregon. Yeah, that was fun, Jeff. Thanks for being here with me. Yeah, of course. Um, did, we, did we get all of them? All the spots? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, uh, there's a lot to to consider in all of that. Yeah. I, I love this case because everything is – all these UFO sightings and these stories are all speculation, especially uh, when you, you have to believe the person and you have to believe in the person when you hear a story. Right. And uh, – this is but, all about this is all about the photos. This is all about the photos. Yeah, and, and there's not a lot that of these type of photos that I mean, one, it looks like it's relatively close up. You know, it's still in the distance, but it's not as far distant as a lot of the photos that you see. Right. And yeah, and again, you got two people. Right. That, they're just like normal normal folks that right. weren't trying to do anything else. Exactly. Just some. Just some good old boys never meaning no harm, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keeping it real. Getting those UFO photos. Word. All right, Jeff. Well, yeah, that's uh that's it, man. Thank you for being here cool. again. And we'll we'll do it again. We'll figure we'll figure something else out to talk about and we'll have you back on and I'll uh, I'll keep up on some research. Yeah, man. For give you some yeah, ideas. Absolutely. Let me know if you got anything you're interested yeah. in tell me we'll we'll get we'll get down on it well you know i mentioned to you my my family um was had an experience with the sasquatch ah oh, so. okay well but, so i don't i don't know i mean it was at this point it's hearsay so no a lot of them a lot of them are but yeah yeah, yeah maybe we'll have to do i mean i've done it a little bit before but Sasquatch. There's some crossover there, you know, like you always comes up. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, they're connected for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we'll get into it sooner or later, man. Sounds good. All right, Let's dude. Tell the family I said hello. I will. Same and, for me. Yeah, we'll do. Give them uh, all hugs and kisses. Uh, I, I do all the time, but I'll, I'll give them a couple special ones from you. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Right on. Have all a right. great night. You too. Later, Jeff. Later. Bye. All right. Yes, there it was. That was uh, me and Jeff Bugby getting down to business, talking about the Trent photos. Uh, what do you think? Did you take a look? Did you uh, did you look at the photos? I think they're pretty uh, pretty unfuckwithable. They're pretty legit. I, I I honestly think they're real. So tell me what you think. Write me. Let me know. Lost Rhetoric Podcast at gmail.com. Facebook at Lost Rhetoric Pod. Instagram at Lost Rhetoric Podcast. I would love to hear your opinion about these very famous, very, I think, legit photographs. Uh, and if you have any interest in the McMinimins, uh 21st annual UFO Fest in McMinnville, Oregon, from May 13th through May 15th, 2021, Get on ufofest.com and just see what they have to offer. Maybe you uh, you want to buy some tickets. Maybe you want to you want to come see what that's all about. Uh, I think I it, you know COVID barring I mean barring COVID's uh, under some sort of uh, control here and it's safe to go. I would love to go. I kind of plan on going, but it's hard to plan anything nowadays isn't it um but yeah uh before i forget jeff didn't get around to plugging his website during the interview so i'm going to do that for him right now if you go to bug me <laughs> bugby dot me b u g b e e dot m e you can find his website uh it's Got a very handsome photo of him on it, and it says Jeff Bugby, website strategist. And he's got a whole bunch of shit to offer. Uh, look it up and see if he can do anything for you, because he's a very talented man that I'm sure can help you out um, in uh, whatever web design uh aspect you need him to help you out in <laughs> and also check out my wife's etsy site mirrored artscapes uh, like i mentioned at the top of the show she's got a whole bunch of products and a whole bunch of cool images that she can get printed on any surface she wants she can also do clothing she can just get you actual prints printed on any surface you would like uh it's pretty cool man it's pretty versatile uh yeah so check out mirrored artscapes and i think that's it i think that's it for the night so thank you for being here with me thank you for listening please rate review get online say something and uh i, I would greatly appreciate that any it, it goes a long way share a link if you like this episode tell someone send them a link to it 
And uh, yeah, I would appreciate it. And also check out the Spotify playlists. They're collaborative. Add songs. Any song you think I need to hear, uh, look up LR024 on Spotify and you will find the playlist from tonight's episode. So yeah, that's it, man. Thank you so much for being here with me. I really appreciate it. As always, I love all of you. I'll see you next week. And uh, yeah, fuck. Damn. Until then, please, please stay safe. Thank you.